0: This episode is being released on January 15th, the day the U.S. has set aside to honor civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In this episode, Dr. David K. Bernard explores the roots of the Pentecostal movement to answer an important question. Was the United Pentecostal Church International founded on racism? Dr. Bernard's response is coming up next. Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to check out Dr. David K. Bernard's books. Dr. Bernard has written more than 30 books on biblical theology and Christian living and leadership. Visit pentecostalpublishing.com and search David Bernard for a list of available titles. Enter promo code DKB10 at checkout to save 10% on your order. That's pentecostalpublishing.com promo code DKB10 to save 10% at checkout. Thank you for joining us. Today is January 15th, at least that's the day that we're releasing this podcast. And here in the United States, of course, we set aside this day to celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This was uh, uh, around the time of his birthday. And anybody who's followed this podcast for the last few years knows that on this particular day, we usually take time to talk about an issue that was very very important to Dr. King, and that is the church and, and the subject of race. When Whenever this subject comes up, invariably, somebody will bring up that the UPCI, they'll make the accusation, I should say, that the UPCI was founded on racism. Generally, the narrative goes something like this, that back in the earliest days of the Pentecostal movement, specifically among one is Pentecostals, they were all part of a one organization or one group, and that because of societal pressures, cultural pressure and inward racism, the white ministers left that organization and founded other organizations, which became the United Pentecostal Church International. Is there any truth to that charge? Maybe to put it to bluntly, was the UPCI founded on racism? It's a complicated history, I would
1: say, uh, what you've described is, is, is in part correct, but there needs to be more context, more nuance, which I'll try to give in a brief, briefly. Uh, but to say that the UPCI was founded on racism, that, that's simply false. Now, uh, for more study, I would give you two resources. Uh, one is my book, A History of Christian Doctrine, Volume 3. So Volume 3 talks about the origin of the modern Pentecostal movement And how the various organizations were formed and it has a discussion of this very issue of race and the splits and the attempted mergers and so on that took place so that will give you the story the history then my recent book anchor points has a chapter called slavery racism and the gospel and it responds more generally does the bible support slavery Uh, does the church support racism how should we deal with racism in society today and it gives a historical background uh, particularly for world slavery and us slavery and how that's affected us and you know as a society so i think you would find that very helpful but to address uh, the question more specifically uh, i would also say uh, i think uh, dr martin luther king jr the birthday is an excellent time for the church to focus on some important things and take a stand um, for inclusion and uh, for affirmation of all races and ethnicities and against racism, segregation, etc. cetera, and, and for justice. So it's good for us to preach, teach, or talk on these themes around this particular time, not just at this time, but it's a good opportunity, good reason for the church to be more specific. And by the way, the UPCI has some resources. We have a racial and ethnic affirmation, and we have a timeline for what we've tried to do over the last 50 years to address these issues. You can find this on our website, upci.org. And I think you'll find that very enlightening. And some of the things I'm giving you now Um you know, you can find in more detail there, including recent statistics, which is very interesting because our latest survey of um, churches and constituents here in the U.S. and Canada shows that the racial composition of our churches is almost exactly the same as the population of the U.S. and Canada overall. Uh, in fact, it's slightly even more a representation of Hispanic and African American. I think the latest shows about 20% of our constituents are Hispanic, about 14% are African American or Black. And uh, then we have, by the time you add Native Americans and um, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders and so on, I think uh, what it comes up to be is, um, well over two thirds I mean, well over one-third, probably 38 or 39 percent of our constituents would fall into some of those categories. So in recent years, then, we've been able to make enormous strides in this area of inclusion and affirmation and diversity. But to go back to the history, so the Pentecostal movement was interracial. Uh, from the beginnings, especially the great Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles, California, that spread the Pentecostal movement throughout the world, 1906 to 1909. The leader was an African-American, William Seymour, who was a son of former slaves. The leadership was interracial from the beginning, black and white, male and female. Um, the Hispanic population was not as great in the U.S. as it is today, but there were Hispanics who attended and people of other nationalities who attended the Azusa Street Revival. Now, that was before the Oneness Movement. When the Oneness Movement began, basically we're talking about 1913, 1914. It also was interracial, including its leadership. So when the Assemblies of God took a stand against oneness in 1916, all the oneness ministers left. Well, many of the oneness ministers were Black, African-American, and that made the Assemblies of God almost totally white organization. So in Trinitarian Pentecostal ranks, what you had is the Assemblies of God as a white organization, as well as some previous Holiness Pentecostal groups, such as the Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee. But then you had the Church of God in Christ, which was a black group. So from that early time, the Trinitarian Pentecostals were pretty much divided on racial lines, but not so with the Oneness Movement. In 1918, they formed their first organization, the General Assembly of Apostolic Assemblies. It was interracial, but it was a new organization, and there was a pre-existing organization called the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World that embraced the oneness message, and since it had already been in existence, that other organization just merged into it, and so As of 1919, the main oneness organization was called the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World, about 80% white, about 20% black, and blacks and whites were represented in leadership. So it's an amazing beginning. Now, think about this. This is 1918 when the U.S. is basically a racist society. You had official segregation in the South through Jim Crow laws. In the North, you didn't have those kind of laws, but there was still a lot of prejudice and a lot of segregation in practical terms. So if you, if you look at the labor unions, they were segregated. U.S. military segregated. Democratic party was segregated. Basically, the Democratic party stood for segregation. Um, you had, um, you know, racism or segregation or those kind of feelings really permeated, influenced all of society. So it's really quite amazing, that the Pentecostal movement in general, and then the oneness movement was so countercultural. And I wish I could just end the story there. But here's what happened. The early Pentecostals could not have any meetings in the South because of Jim, Jim Crow law. So even though a lot of the constituents, a lot of the preachers were in the South, you couldn't. You couldn't have a conference together. You couldn't go to hotels together. You couldn't go to restaurants together. Even to have uh, integrated church, you would often be attacked by the community through tearing down tents, burning buildings, <laughs> throwing rocks and rotten eggs. And so it was difficult. Now, again, think of the the uh, early Pentecostals are mostly there were some middle class, a lot of working class. A lot of people wouldn't even have cars at that time. There were no interstate highways. People traveled by train. There were, there was no commercial jet service. And so just to go to a conference across the country would take days, lots of money, and be very difficult. So automatically, half the people could never go to a general conference, could never vote on their leaders. And so that created a lot of tension. Uh, now, Uh, And then also the pressures of a racist society. Now, I'll have to be honest. Obviously, there had to be some racism or some kind of uh, feelings even within the church. But I do think it's accurate to say most of the pressure came from outside the secular society, the persecution, the pressure, and just the logistics of I mentioned of not being able to hold conferences in half the country and half the constituents not being able to participate in their own their own governance, their own conferences. But the reason why I say it was not primarily internal, one reason, the chronicle of the Azusa Street Revival, Frank Bartleman, who who later accepted one, Scott, he said at Azusa Street, the color line was washed away in the blood. And then S.C. McLean, who was an early oneness minister, early UPCI minister. He was from the South. So he remarked that when he got into the Pentecostal church, he thought it was amazing. For the first time in his life, blacks and whites were sitting together in service. Blacks and whites were sitting together having fellowship, eating dinner together after church. To him, that was incredible and amazing and wonderful. So here is a minister raised in segregation who now is exposed to the integration of the true body of Christ through the Pentecostal movement. I think that was the predominant sentiment. However, these pressures of society did occur. So in 1923, there was a, a big fellowship conference in the South. No business was conducted, but a lot of the Southern ministers said, this is, this is amazing. We need this. We, we need to have conferences here. So in 1924, they split primarily along racial lines. Now, as I said, it was obviously pressure from the segregated society, and we have to be honest to say there had to be at least some internal feelings of segregation or separation, which are not Christian, which are wrong, uh, but the church is not perfect, and it was an imperfect situation, but I don't think it was primarily internal. The reason why the most of the white ministers left, but when they did, they did not form one white organization. They formed three regional organizations, because the idea was not just segregation on race. The idea was being able to have conferences in your area where everybody could participate. So you had four organizations, the of the world predominantly black, although some white stayed in there. And then you had three regional organizations, mostly white, although there were a few African Americans in them as well. So it wasn't strictly race, but primarily. That was 1924 and 25. Nevertheless, the desire for unity was so strong, those two predominantly white organizations, two of them joined to form the Apostolic Church of Jesus Christ. And then in 1931, that organization and the PAW merged again. So both whites and blacks wanted unity so much that they joined again in 1931. And they actually merged their names, Pentecostal Assemblies of the World, Apostolic Church of Jesus Christ. They merged at Pentecostal Assemblies of Jesus Christ. To me, that shows the majority of the members really wanted. It wasn't internal prejudice that it caused the division. It was external pressures. And so they decided, let's try this again. And so most of the whites and blacks came back together. They actually said 50% of the board, the governing board would be white, 50% black, even though the total constituency would have been more like 70% white, 30% black. But they were trying to be fair. They also said no conferences in the South because if you did that, blacks couldn't come. And so that lasted until 1938. Sad to say, The same pressures happen again. And the precipitating factor was they had a conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which wasn't the South, so technically that met the conditions, but it was a very prejudiced, racist, segregated city. And so most of the black ministers said, you know what, this is not working. They're not really accommodating us the way we thought. And so they left and went back. This somebody had kept the uh, PAW alive as a very small group, although it's supposed to all be merged. And so most of the black ministers left, went to the PAW. So as of 1938, again, you had one organization, mostly black. You had two organizations, mostly white. I So it's a complicated history. <coughs> of course, there were some ministers that were independent or with small groups who never were part of that. So it's hard to generalize. But as of uh, 1938, you did have these three organizations, predominantly black and two predominantly white. The two predominantly white in 1945 merged to form the United Pentecostal Church. So it was formed as mostly white. However, there were a few black ministers and a few members of other races, including Hispanic ethnicity at, in the merger. So they, they became part of the UPC from the beginning. So to say the UPCI was formed because of racism is is not true. To say it had no black members is not true. However, it was a very small um, percentage. And then we started seeing in the late 50s and early 60s, more African-Americans being converted or getting credentials. And then starting in the mid-70s, we find a very intentional effort by the UPCI leadership and ministry to reach out to African-Americans, Hispanics, other ethnicities. And so since that time, we've seen dramatic progress till today. As I've said, our constituency reflects the racial com- composition of the general population. Uh, our ministry and our leadership is lagging behind a little bit, but more and more people arise as they rise through the ranks and uh, be called to preach and get qualified, uh, then there's Increasingly, an ongoing diversity, which we now see in our ministers, our headquarters uh, staff, our headquarters executives, our Urshan College and and Urshan Graduate School um, students, staff, um, administration. You know, so in every our our district leadership, our general board, uh, we're seeing uh, increased and in, and in, in notable diversity, and of course worldwide, we're predominantly. Uh, non-white. So the vast majority of our constituents would be uh, black, brown, you know, Asian or African or uh, Caribbean or um, Hispanic. Uh, and so our global council, which is our international leaders, which you can go on our website and see, would be overwhelmingly, now there's still a lot of missionary presence from North America as as uh, churches grow to maturity, uh, they elect their own national leadership, but until they get to that point, they're still under missionary leadership, which is led by North America. But so now you're seeing, uh, you know, half or more of our national leaders would be representing, um, you know, uh, uh, other ethnicities than uh, white European. So, uh, and that will only increase as more and more churches come to maturity and elect their own national leadership. So. Uh, Overall, I'm very thankful. I would say, yes, there were some racial divisions in in the past, back in the 20s, before there was a United Pentecostal Church. So it's the background. But it's the same kind of problems every denomination Actually, if you look at other denominations, you had the Southern Baptists, the Southern Methodists, the Southern Presbyterian. They were explicitly formed on the basis of racism. Uh, so every other institution of society had to work through this. Um, I think the oneness history, while obviously not perfect, is probably better than most because there was an attempt from 1918 to 1924 and again from 1931 to 1930. Eight, to be truly interracial, I only wish they could have held that counter-culturally, no matter how difficult it was. If they could have held that for 20 more years, then we'd be in the civil rights movement and we could have been more at the forefront and we could have implemented the vision of the church and not succumb to the pressures of the culture. However, obviously, uh, that was before there was United Pentecostal Church, and once the United Pentecostal Church was formed, um, it wasn't formed on the basis of race, but it took probably uh, a good 20 years for the leadership to start realizing we've got to be intentional. We've got to do something about this, uh, or actually maybe even closer to 30 years where you saw real significant intentional progress. Um, and of course, I would have to say the white majority would bear the great responsibility for the failures. But really, uh, I would say the church is formed in a culture, in a society. You have to start dealing with where you are. And I'm thankful that we're growing to maturity in Christ. And I'm thankful uh, to report we have a great inclusion and diversity in the body of Christ, not
0: as a matter of political correctness, but to be biblically and spiritually correct.